you know this, right? There are iconic voices in our business. It's just the truth. Some of them are on-air talent, great morning show, great afternoon show, or something else. Uh, in all different kinds of forms, all different different kinds of shows, all different kinds of personalities and day parts in radio. Some are cult of personality individuals. You know who they are. Uh, and, and look, you know there are things that simply work on radio. They connect. And then there is a category that we all know very, very well, the voice talent, station voice, however you want to call it. Today, we are so fortunate, we are going to get to visit with one that can only really be described as a legend. I know he's probably wincing as I say this, but but it's just true. If you know today's guest, you know how amazing he is as a voice talent. And if you know him, you know how amazing he is as a human being. Half of the reason I wanted to interview today's guest is because he is so respected in our industry. But the other half is his attitude and how he works with others. What it's like to collaborate with this individual is really good. Now, look, I think this can be inspirational and absolutely encouraging. Plus, we might be able to find something we can use in our own careers. This sounds like exactly the type of person that we really like to talk to on our podcast. Welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast on Apple, Spotify, Audible, almost anywhere you get your podcast. Our goal is always to encourage radio pros at all levels. If you are a regular listener of this podcast, you know that we drop fresh weekly episodes featuring a radio pro working right now in radio. We do it every Sunday. To enjoy our podcast, all you have to do is be interested in others. Be open to encouragement, advice, connections, tools to get ahead, and ways to make your radio career more profitable and more successful. Each week, we have the opportunity to see a snapshot of an individual in our business. It allows us to see radio from a different perspective, different career arc, and also to see how they are embracing radio right now. My name is Lloyd Ford. I'm with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works, or what we call ourselves RPC. Our practice, well, we call ourselves a multiplier because that's what you need today. We help local radio generate higher ratings and higher revenue. It's just as simple as this. When we go to work with a client and they follow our collaborative process and strategy, their revenue and profit margin rises. Ideas are the new technology, and we always like to ask, where do your ideas come from? you have enough ideas? Are your local radio stations programmed and positioned to collect the most revenue in your local market today? Do you need better sales recruitment? We can help you. Schedule a meeting by email. It's easy. First consultation is free, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. We're just about a minute away from welcoming John Williard, maybe even less. Voiceover talent, man, I don't even I don't even know what to put with this guy. You'll see what I'm talking about in a minute uh, uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. Now, a big thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which we make available minutes after the recorded interview, and we share it in social media. That's how people first come in contact with us, and then they find out, oh my God, there's 120 plus of these episodes 
that I can just subscribe to and listen to. It's true. A big thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. See what you can get for free from our team in our free blog section. It, it basically says free stuff. It's on our website. And it's for you at RainmakerPathway.com, including our Encouraging Sales Success Series and More Than Live and Local Series. Now, let's see what we can learn from this week's guest. John, welcome to the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast. I'd like to know, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. And legend, you know, Lloyd, legend just means I've been around longer than anybody else. Oh, I disagree with that. I, I think it's a lot more than that, John. Uh, people who know you and know the quality of your work and and how special it is, I think it takes both. You can't just hang out and become a legend. Uh, you have to earn it, and I think you've done that. And it's so exciting to talk to you. And I, I've been thinking about this for a week. I've been thinking, well, do I lower my voice when I talk to John? <laughs> what should I do, you know? And I've just decided to go, I'm just going to be natural and I'm not going to be like John Williard because he's awesome and I can't, I can't be John Williard, right? <laughs> well, All I right. can't do it. I can't do it. You do. You are so well organized too. And I've learned so much, not only about you. I mean, I've known you for over 20 years, probably closer to 25, it's but really I'm, scary. I'm learning. <laughs> But I'm just learning more, uh, too, about uh, this business by yes. uh, tapping into these podcasts. And I really I've become a fan. So thank you. Well, th thank you so much. And listen, uh, to have the opportunity to put somebody like you on our podcast is really amazing because it speaks to what our goal is, which is really we feel like there's never enough encouragement in the world. And why shouldn't we open up on that? So that's what we're doing. Wow. That's what this podcast is. It came out of the pandemic and and it's just been really good. And I learned, I learned something every week. John Williard, where did you grow up, sir? Oh, good question. <clears throat> I made my first uh, appearance, first stage appearance, under my mother's graduation gown. And and three days later, I was uh, born at well, in Lexington, Kentucky. My parents were going to school at Asbury college she was in the college she had just graduated and my dad got a another degree at asbury theological seminary right across the street from where my wow. mom graduated i didn't know that about your dad that's so interesting so uh, so listen what was the first experience that you had with radio as a listener not as a professional but as a listener i would have to say that well and that's part of the the growing up is that my dad, my dad was a Southerner. My dad grew up in uh, the Carolinas, born in Winston-Salem, mm -hmm. lived in Charlotte. World War II took him to the West Coast. That's where eventually, I'll shorten the story, my mom uh, and he uh, met each other there in Ventura. So now he becomes a Californian, of course, because my mom was. And... Right. Um, and so I lived in Southern and Northern California and Reno, Nevada as well, principally uh, that's the kind of the landscape. So in Los Angeles, when I was a grade school kid, I would be yeah. mesmerized by some of the great Los Angeles radio signals. And um, that's really where not only watching great early television that was still in black and white, of course, but hearing these uh, marvelous uh, creative radio shows, not only 
morning show. Well, I didn't really listen. I, I'll tell you what I did. I had a three transistor radio that I had got with <clears throat> with blue chip stamps. And every night I would plug in my little earphone into my and fall asleep. And of course, the next morning there would be no battery. But I repeated it every day. And uh, you won't even believe this. But there was a guy who I listened to when I was probably 12. And this is about the time that the Beatles hit, hit too, when I was about 12 or 13. But this guy on KTLA, when I was 12 years old, would eventually become my second mentor in broadcasting. His name was John Stone. I didn't. I made the connection years later that, oh, you know, we, we, did, we figured it out that, oh, you were on the air, and I was sneaking these lessons in my bunk bed when I shouldn't have been listening because my parents didn't want me listening to rock and roll. Uh, but it was you. <laughs> so we worked together That's when amazing. I was in my, in my 20s. Isn't that crazy? Uh, absolutely. It's always amazing when you could piece things together later or you come in contact with somebody that you go, oh, yeah. my God. Right. All right. So, listen, I'm going to ask this question. It doesn't sound like this, but were your parents in radio or media? And, and I want to know how you got interested in radio, John. Well, that is that is so that's such an uh, great um, inquisitive question. Almost you almost discern something about the DNA, because I'd have to say that it's that it is in my DNA because my dad, my dad was 17 years old when he heard live on WCBS AM, which was a clear channel station. He heard the War of the Worlds. Oh, he wow. Heard the, he heard the Orson Welles rendition of it when it was broadcast in its uh, first, you know, first time when it just set the, the entire Eastern seaboard on its ear and people yeah. were panicking. As a matter of fact, he even walked outside the kitchen where he was, he tells the story. I have him recording this. Uh, I have his voice on tape because I interviewed him about this period of his life. And mm -hmm. he, actually walked out of the kitchen where he was making fudge for the family and he looked north on the horizon as if he could see some kind of catastrophe that had befallen the eastern seaboard uh from mars it. yeah he really did he believed it so and, and look for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what we're talking about you can google uh war of the worlds and not the movie with uh, with tom cruise <laughs> like this is uh, Orson Welles, and you'll find out exactly what John is talking about later. But, but go ahead, John. What was he attached to media in any way? And he was in the sense that um, even before he got to college, his desire, and I have a quote from him where he actually said, "I wanted to be a big time network radio announcer." Well, that didn't happen. But when he was in uh, Wellmore. Kentucky going to a theological seminary they the school did put a live half hour program that had singing and he would uh, bring the message and and it was an early FM station this would have to have been in 50 or 51 your dad sort of saw the future but not his yeah. yours yeah. you know the, and there's a bunch of stories like this where where parents of people who become famous doing a thing, they they were in the same kind of area, sort of. So that's pretty interesting. Was your mom, uh, what did your mom do? 
Well, interestingly, they were both both of them were classically trained vocalists. They could stand on their own as soloists, and they did. I heard I heard them each in that role, but I also heard them through my all of my life singing duets. They sang really? into their I would say late 70s, early 80s. Um, they made some recordings in Southern California, but well, so you still have these. I do, I do, and oh, ironically, I'll I'll send you one uh, when we're done. Okay. Um, okay. I, ironically, they were the classically trained vocalists, heard by maybe you know a few thousand people tops to, in total, because the auditoriums would be small, smaller. Sure. Um. But but my audience has been tens of thousands and perhaps hundreds of thousands. When I've been allowed by by any given station that I work with, they write they write uh, singing bits in for me or say go off the page, just do it. And I have been produced. I can't tell you how many times with uh, singing a part. You know, um, even John, doing a, even doing a jingle is... sing out. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of the great things about you. I know about this, and I'm going to bring a name up. T. Gentry. <laughs> T. Gentry oh, has yeah. done some really creative things with you. Some and of the you best. Can't tell. Yeah, I mean, just really good stuff. And so part of that is that sometimes John will sing things, and sometimes John will do weird things, and they turn out to be <laughs> some of the most amazing radio imaging. Now, John, tell us about your first job in radio. Ooh, that would be that would be at Simpson College in San Francisco. Oh. When I left my family in Redding, California, I had graduated just a few months prior, and now I end up in San Francisco for the first time away from my family and lived in the dorm, which was right on the campus. It was on a hilltop, too. University yes. Mound, I think is what it's called. And you could see out the back window of the radio. There was a radio station. And mm -hmm. I gravitated, I quickly gravitated to that. I don't even think that anybody had to go out and uh, recruit me. I think it just kind of like, uh, it fell in my lap. And we had a volunteer staff of over 40 people to cover all the shifts. Because I think we'd be, be on, we'd sign on at 6 in the morning, and then I would sign it off at midnight. Now, mm -hmm. it was an FM, it was an FM station. And get this, no credit. There was nothing, there was, there was, it was not a recognized class or anything about it that gave me any kind of earned credit. It was just earned experience, if you will. And I remember this about every week, Cal Berkeley's radio station would call us. We were about 0.2 mega cycles away. We were 90.1, and I think they were 90.3. And they would call us every week and say, you guys are blowing us off the dial. Can you check your transmitter? <laughs> And we check it, and we were within parameters. Now, get this: a hundred watts effective radiated power. But we, but it was line of sight. It was line of sight, and you could cover all of the, that part of the Bay Area. So I could oh, look yeah. out the back. Yeah, I could look out the back window of the station and see Sproul Plaza, see Berkeley, see the the Bay Bridge, see most of downtown San Francisco, and uh, it was just magical. But like I said, what, what was I didn't San get Francisco any credit like back then. Oh, it was, you know, it was, well, I get to put it in, in I, I have to couch that in two different ways, I'd have to say. And, I, and I'll t give you a for instance. The Right before school started, I grabbed 
a city bus that said, I think I even looked for a city, a, a city bus, bus map, and I wanted to go to Haight-Ashbury, because I'd heard all about mm-hmm. this place. Absolutely. When, it, when the bus rounded the corner, and I saw all that mess there, that zoo, that psychedelic, and all the hippies and everything milling around, I stayed on the bus. And I just returned. I didn't even get off the bus. Yeah. So, well, so there was I'm that. I'm sure it know. looks different than the romance, right? Oh, yeah. But, you know, and speaking of that, it, it was a romantic city. It was pristine in so many ways. And there was, I didn't see any homelessness. Um, right. And there was a great panoply of all of the classes of people, you know, the uh, it's not like it. This is not like it is now. It's so sad. It's just so sad. And I have to recommend a book by David Talbot, and mm-hmm. it's a it's a nonfiction book. I only read nonfiction. Well, generally, uh, and it's about. I couldn't believe the research that he did in uncovering these amazing things about San Francisco during the time I was there, just sl- slightly before, leading into the Haight Ashbury era. The the mm-hmm. who. Uh, David Crosby, others who he would meet um, and would become the iterations of the the iconic groups that we know now, including stories about George Moscone, about early uh, Feinstein when she was a commissioner there, uh, the People's Temple, Jim Jones. I really highly recommend this book, and it's called The Season of the Witch by David Talbot. If you really want to know what San Francisco was like from about the th- from the sixties through about the eighties, all of the eighties. Uh, check out the book, "The Season of the Witch." All right. So, look, all these people know you as this amazing voice talent, and you are truly one of the iconic voices of the last thirty years. Uh, okay, and so you know, just talking about iconic voices, you worked for Bill Young Productions. How did you get involved with Bill Young Productions? How did that come to John Williard? I'm going to answer that question, but I forgot to mention something about uh, the FM station at the college. So that okay. led me that led me to my first paid broadcasting job, which was a radio network that had a flagship station in San Francisco. And so I got to do work on both the network and the local level. I got really? to, uh, even at age 20 and 21, I was taking UPI actualities and teletype and creating um, five-minute and 10-minute new, newscasts uh, a- any time of the day, even into the late at night. Um, some of the stories were Nixon, Northern Ireland, the Vietnam War, all that kind of thing. So one of the people who worked there was a gentleman who became my, he was my first broadcast mentor. And his name was John Arthur. John Arthur is listed in the golden age of radio. John had a kid's show on ABC Radio Network in the probably beginning in the late 40s and all the way through the 50s, maybe into the early 60s. And it's it's still in syndication uh, on some level, even to this day. He had more individual performance time on network radio than anybody else that according to the golden age of radio book because he had one hour every day and then two hours on saturday so he had a Mm -hmm. total of seven and he did all these voices 
he had all these characters and he did every one of them, including a little character that was electronically manipulated. And, and that was Sparky. So the show was Big John and Sparky. Did this, People, this had to influence you, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. This shows you what's possible, right? Yeah. What you can so do answer, with voice and creativity. Oh, yeah, yes. All of it. So to answer that uh, question, I'm sorry, I took a little detour. I went around the Cape of Good Hope to get to the answer. But it's all right. We're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was working at a hot AC station mm -hmm. and and I this actually that was the last station that I ever worked at and to this day that was over 30 years ago to this day I still have the dreaded dead air dream <laughs> do you really yes anybody so many of us have that. <laughs> yes. wow so I, I younger did, people may not have that that's true yeah because of automation and yeah, but they got a computer yeah but when you're flying by the seat of your pants and everything is live and you're pushing every you're manipulating the 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 show the sound of the station and you're all, you know it's up to you yeah you're gonna have those dead air moments uh and and hence 30 plus years later have a dead air dream or nightmare but uh, i was doing that is uncomfortable to learn that that can Ooh. happen that far out <laughs> yeah you know that you could still have that dream i'll probably have it tonight <laughs> and you can thank me send me a That's note right. so right. i working at this ac station for some reason a promoter came along and i don't even remember the details but it was for it was for the australian rock group midnight oil and i knew the bill young concert sound that was familiar to me uh, for several years before I even uh, before they even entertained bringing me in for an interview. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So I did this. This uh, I did. I think I did a pre-sale and a general use. And before you know it, uh, probably less than 48 hours later, I get a call from Bill Young himself. Really, and I, and I think. I'm sure because he was so well connected with all the promoters, everybody knew him, everybody used him. In fact, at one time, 75% of all the commercial touring com uh, spots for every known uh, act that was out there, be it rock, country, R&B, um, even Broadway shows, 75% of all that Bill Young. Yeah, 75% of all that action was done by Bill Young Productions. So he calls me. And to this day, I I never have gotten the full uh, explanation as to why the call. But I think that he didn't want, but, well, two things. He didn't want to compete, not that I would have ever, ever risen to that level. Although there have been people who did kind of rip off the Bill Young sound. Some of them were in Houston and became quite formidable uh, to uh, as a competitor. But right. moreover... Moreover, he wanted to hire me because I think he heard that I could be molded into that Bill Young sound. And yes. I got to tell you a funny story, Lloyd, about that. One time there was a um, a Def Leppard, uh, and I had been given the, the market to do. Now, we would keep the image lines and most of the, like, the iconic 
Bill Young where he'd say something like, you know, Def Leopard. And uh, and we would try to save as much on it, but we would do the updates in our own voices. So I played it for, I believe it was Barry Leff. Barry Leff mm-hmm. was a huge promoter. And, and just for fun, at the end of it, I said, how many voices did you hear on that spot? And he goes, one, just one. That was Bill, right? And I said, no, there were three. There was Bill, there was Steve Kelly, and there was myself. So that is a testament to the fact that we could assimilate that Bill Young sound and cover that whenever we needed to. I can't tell you how many Bill Young concert spots I've heard, and yet you (laughs) just told me a secret that I could have no idea about. Because I would have said the same thing. I would have said that's one voice. Yeah. So, look, what was it that that experience of working for Bill Young Productions, what was that like? What was it worth in terms of your education as a voiceover artist? Oh, it really opened up the world. I'd have to say literally it did because he gave me so many different opportunities. Um, Mm. And uh, coincidentally, Lloyd, I have to, I, I, I can't minimize this, how kind he was, how, how generous they were as a facility. He may not have known how much side work I was doing, but I would do it beforehand or, you know, and lunch. And then after we, I was done with the company work, I would work right up until 9 p.m. doing wow. the imaging because we had a FedEx pickup that came to the back door to a loading dock, actually. And sometimes they'd have 250 packages going out they said they said that there were more FedEx shipments in the central time zone than anybody else except for the Spiegel catalog people in Incredible. Chicago. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Incredible. So so coincidentally, from the time that I left that AC station and and the the end of that story, the rest of that story is yes, I did accept uh, Bill's invitation to come and work with him. But that was about the same time that I had been engaged by an old friend I had worked with in Atlanta at WQXI, the FM side, 94Q. Ken Cooper had been doing mornings on KZLA in Los Angeles, the big country station in in L.A. And he asked me to do some things for just his morning show. And, (laughs) And it goes on the air. And Bob Guerra was the PD. I'm sure you know Bob quite well. And Bob is driving in and hears my voice for the first time on his station. Mm -hmm. And he's never run run this by by Bob for any permission. So he walks into the control room and says, who's that? And, you know, my old PD, because I was a PD and I was really, really in charge of the, the sound and took it very seriously. And top forty sure. in, in Northern California, and I would have, I would have said, "Well, get him off the air. You didn't, you didn't pass this by me." But instead, he says, "Let's put him on the whole station." There you go. And 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 unbeknownst to me, Rusty Walker was the consultant of KZLA. Yep. And the rest is history. <laughs> oh yeah. Talk about a kind person. Ooh. who would connect people that's rusty for sure oh my word yes and uh his word was the contract as a matter of fact exactly I, remember, right. 
I remember when he first started hearing that, that this is a little secret here. I'm tell, telling a little story out of, out of turn here, but um, he didn't like the fact that I started getting into contractual agreements with uh, some of the stations that he represented because he said, you know, I, that I found out from his other colleagues that no, no, he doesn't do contracts. It's, it's, it's all in a handshake. Yeah. But always, but it, always that way. Always yeah. that way. His he was word the best. was his bond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, John, help us understand. Um, I'm going to say a few names, and I want to know if, in addition to radio, you have voiced these things. Please, this is kind of a game because I know the <laughs> answer. But here we go. <laughs> the Academy Awards, Duck Dynasty, uh, Duck Family Treasure, the CMAs, and I swear I'm seeing this thing about the uh, – Sports Illustrated swimsuit, blah blah. I don't know. <laughs> do you do all this? Well, I didn't in the in the in terms of the voiceover that I did for the CMA Awards for twenty years, beginning in nineteen ninety six. I did not do similarly for the Academy Awards. Now that would have been a cool gig, but what I did was the first time that Jimmy Kimmel hosted his. Mm-hmm. Uh, production his uh, producers and writers from his show worked in tandem with the academy awards and they had a little comedy sketch that they ran right after the monologue and what it and the bit the bit was that they were going to give an actual jet ski to the recipient to the winner who had the shortest acceptance speech which they actually did give away and helen mirren dame helen mirren modeled it like carol merrill on the price is right or the or whatever that show was that money hauled it uh let's make a deal uh so yeah so it was a comedy bit that ran twice um i'll send you hey, that, that counts it's actually, yeah the you sports know. illustrated sports illustrated was an interesting show and that was that was called 50 Years of Beautiful. And it That's was it. featuring all of the uh, iconic, the famous um, high fashion models, the, the Sports Illustrated people who had gone back to the very first issue. So it was a cavalcade of 50 years. And they said, yeah, we'd like to fly you out. And it's going to be in the Kodak Theater. And of course, now I'm thinking, are you kidding? I'm going to be rubbing elbows with with these supermodels and then they call the next day and they said uh we 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 have to pull back on that we we didn't have the budget but can you do it from your home studio so i did it in my boxers (laughs) did you really (laughs) in my home studio just to prove a point that i could that's right well listen tell us tell us about award shows because i think people want to know this are you doing that live is it recorded uh, what do you do? Is it a booth or something like a booth? What What's happening, John? Well, there's two ways on that. Um, the show is typically on a Wednesday night, so I would come in on a Saturday. They would always have three hours that were carved out on uh, a Saturday afternoon in a studio, and they, they could be any given studio in uh, somewhere on Music Row, some were one was at the North Star Studios. I'm trying to think of the name of this. They were it was the one that we used in the last for the last several years that I did it. And they really got it. They were really fast and great to work with. 
what we would do for those sessions was get all those things in the can that you would run that you would see uh certainly the opening because the opening a lot of times would have the laundry list and you had 45 frames and how that translates is a second and a half one and a half seconds so 45 frames to hit things like um winona you know or uh yeah alan, alan jackson well and here was a, a fun one that the buddy uh that we first the very first year that i did it in 1996 he will to this day write uh allison kraus in union station featuring jerry douglas you had to do that in a <laughs> second and a half and then everybody else got a second and a half for their name you know uh trisha yearwood i mean that fit but allison kraus in union station featuring jerry douglas <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can yeah. see why he remembers that uh Absolutely. so those were so so those that also were the the bumpers before going into the commercial break the things that mm -hmm. would say coming up who will win female vocalist of the year will it be faith hill blah 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 you know and and you'd have to hit now if you did that live they would roll that prepared that pre-produced video and you'd have to hit the name in a second and a half to the appropriate spot well if Absolutely. you got out if you got out by a second you're toast. So those were done uh, in advance on that Saturday session. And sometimes we would go back in and we would have to do tweaks or revisions, such as one year um, we had done all this stuff. And I think Reba was going to give the entertainer of the year. So we would always say, Reba McIntyre is still to come. You know, she's going to give away. And we, we did all that. And then somebody nixed it. They said, no. <gasps> They want his, her manager wants her to be called Reba. We're just going to go. So we had to redo all that just to make it Reba. Another year, we had to go back in because Johnny Cash. Oh, I was so excited about this. I think it was 1998. And he was going to present a big award. Perhaps it was Entertainer of the Year. So there were a lot of mentions about, you know, stay tuned. Johnny Cash is going to be. And then we had to go in the next day. And his sister had become quite ill, and they said he's going to pull out of the show. So I never got to meet him. Oh, so close, John. All right, but there so were, listen. But there were live moments that they would incorporate, uh, especially in about, I'd say, six or seven slots throughout the three hours, where there would be uh, some kind of a noteworthy line that would say, that's Tim. That's Tim McGraw's sixth nomination and third win in this category. That kind of thing. So those, oh, those that would be, be live. Those would be the live ones. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So there was some so it's kind live. Of, yeah. A mixture of stuff is pretty interesting. Listen. Yeah, here works. is a here is a quote about you. Quote: Not that John needs my recommendation. However, I always look forward to getting his raw voice tracks because. Even in his outtakes, there's no filler material. No matter what delivery style we ask for, John always nails the target and leaves a few arrows lying around, which occasionally <laughs> we could find something even better than what we'd envisioned. It's not just his voice. It's his connection to the user and that makes you want John, unquote. So, John Williard, why is a voice... Uh, why is a voiceover more than just reading words? In other words, how 
does creativity influence great voice work? Now, first of all, you're going to have to tell me who that was so I can send them a gift card or or pay them for that. I, I can't believe that. That's oh, uh, so sweet. That is so sweet. But I tell you, it it comes it comes about in a couple of different ways. One is, of course, longevity and just becoming completely comfortable with what you do in your studio. And the other is it, the other is really a feeling of having more fun than the next guy or girl. And I do feel that I have more fun than anybody else in in this um, role, in this part of the industry. You, uh, find so that, it, wait, you find it's fun to be in a room by yourself, making <laughs> stuff up or, right? I mean, this is what you're saying to us, right? Because I have a great imagination. Yeah. And I know what the and I know what the end result is going to be because a lot of times the connection, unless I take the time to listen in on almost ninety stations on the listen right. live function, I ask them to send me when they you know when they can. I would love to hear the the finished piece, the the finished production. Please send it to me, and that keeps me that keeps me up too. That that. That helps my chops. That gets me, uh, ex keeps me excited. And I've been, yes, I, so I've been, uh, I've been technically, well, you know what? I'd have to go back to even college and say oh. that I was doing imaging work then. I was creating not only IDs, but little bumpers when I was 19, mm -hmm. eight, 18, 19 years old. And I didn't know what to call it, but that's what it was when I look back. So I was doing it from college years and just having I, a I never know. I, look, I never know what people think or what they believe, but I believe that God leads you in your life. And sometimes you're doing something that, you know, points a light to which direction you're supposed to go. And I think we're supposed to pay attention. <laughs> well, I got to tell you that I uh, so totally wholeheartedly agree with that to the extent that I see God's fingerprints on every part of my career through these yes. decades. I really do. And to whom much is given, much is required. I I, I just have to fall back on that uh, adage, that scripture. Um, can I ask this question? Um, is somebody listening to this podcast episode, you know, they're going to be attracted for different reasons. A lot of people know you or on so many stations, but there'll be other people who want to be the John Willard of the future. Do you have any advice for those people? Do you have any thoughts about what that will be like? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, that is, that, that is, that's a real heavy question because one of the first things that comes to mind is competition. The yes. competition is so very fierce now. I feel, I feel really fortunate that uh, back then you could almost write down on a single column on one page all the people who were doing it or who were noteworthy doing it. Now it's just hundreds, if not thousands. Uh, case in point, when I first started going to Country Radio Seminar, the CRS, mm -hmm. and, and it was the uh, first time I went, it was in the uh, Opryland Resort. Oh, yeah. There might be one other imaging voice milling around, uh, and some years it would it would uh, burgeon to three, <laughs> and then sometimes it would just be me. 
Now, the last, I'd say, four or five years, there are no fewer than two dozen. Really? And And, and that does nothing to say that if you just go on the Internet looking for voices, you can find hundreds of different things, male, female, this kind of male, this kind of female, this kind of... It's like, wow. So, So you would say, sharpen your skills. And, be, and maybe be uniquely you, right? Because that's what you do. Oh, absolutely. Find your own lane. Uh, don't be anybody else. I mean, you can certainly yeah. you can certainly emulate, be inspired by, but I think you have to have your own distinction, your your own unique sound. And I would furthermore say, and I don't know where I don't know where I got it because I really never did go to. I mean, I've done a little bit of. Uh, stage acting just uh, you know a little bit um Mm -hmm. but i i I tell you the one that i would love to see people think about seriously is go take improv classes do some yeah go do some acting classes but take some improv classes i think that really uh kickstarts your chops you know um i think there's lots of reason for radio personalities to do that as well oh absolutely And, and i I yeah. would say I would hasten to say that that's probably a a benchmark of the Don Anthony morning show boot camp. I'm I'm sure he talks about that. Oh yeah. Now, I I brought his name up, and I got to tell you, this is so funny. So we leave market number eighty-two. I'm going back in time now to the eighties. In nineteen eighty-seven, I leave market eighty-two, and I just I just felt like okay, I've done everything here my afternoon show was beating my morning show and all other day parts in town. Cause I did a show, an afternoon show like Rick D's did mornings. And I was also the program director and I produced a lot of the, the promos and the imaging and stuff like that. And I just Mm -hmm. felt like I've just, I don't have any more challenges here. And I really didn't. And so I sent my material to a headhunter I found him mm-hmm. in the back of Radio and Records, and it was Don Anthony. And he Oh, really? My, yes. I sent my package to him. It went through him. And within 24 hours of it getting FedExed overnight, it was in the hands of Don Benson at WQXI, which was owned by Lincoln fin- or uh, Jefferson Pilot at the time. Oh, and yeah. I got a call. I got to tell you, I got a call in about 24 hours inviting me to come out. And it was it was magic, you know, moving from market 82 to market 10 or whatever it was in Atlanta. And, Listen, there, uh, there's almost nothing that you can say about Don Anthony that's not great in his contribution to morning shows and his what he's done to help people. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And but and I've not met him yet. I still no, need to meet him. Really? And you live no. right there, right? I know. I know. I don't know where he lives. I know I had to send it uh, from California. I sent it to uh, Woodstock, Georgia address, which we were at a little show on Friday night. I know exactly, you know, Woodstock is just hop, skipping a jump away, but I don't know where he lives now. I got to look him up. This is a good reminder, this interview. (laughs) All right. So listen, John, uh, I want you to tell us about an experience that most of us, uh, I think people in country radio think about this a lot and we see these experiences and we we go oh my god that's incredible mostly because of the people involved okay 
Tell us about the experience of being inducted into the Country Radio Hall of Fame because you are beloved in the country radio community. What's it like to get that call? Mm. And what's it like to stand up and give that speech? That might be two different experiences. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because it started. Well, it, it it didn't just start in March when it was announced. We had to hold on to the... Uh, we had gotten a Zoom call maybe two weeks before and that was a total that was a total misdirection i gotta tell you about that but i have to go back a little bit further and say that i had been nominated perhaps uh for the prior 10 years something like that so sometimes no. sometimes the nomination process they would the cr somebody at crb would say would you please renew your application so i would do that periodically and when I did it in late 2022, I thought, well, I don't know why I thought this might be the year. And and timing is everything. And in the fullness of time, it, it happened. So Shelly Easton, well, mm -hmm. before before I even mentioned her name, um, my assignment from R.J. Curtis was that on this date, sometime in, I think the third week of February, he he asked me, to uh, participate in an interview where I would give some recollections and reflections on past CRSs that I had attended. So I took that very seriously. I had all these, I had, I had my top keynote address speakers. I had oh. a list of those people, favorite uh, seminar, favorite uh, sessions, favorite panels, favorite experiences, Charlie Monk, you know, favorite <laughs> Charlie oh, yeah. Monk monologues and all that kind of thing. And so I'm ready to go on a Zoom and they were recording it video and audio as well. And then all of a sudden, here comes Shelly Easton in from the side and I see her picture and I say, I see her image. What, what are you, Shelly, what are you doing? It's so good to see you. And she had the, this huge smile that she just never could get rid of. And she said, you know, it's my honor to tell you that you're inducted into, and I just, I, I just dropped my head, and I, I, I got really emotional, and I oh. think that one of the first, the one of the first things that I said was, I'm so sad that Charlie Monk won't be here to see this, or oh, Rusty, no kidding, right, or Rusty, or Rusty Walker, yes, yes, but but you are giving me good vibes about RJ, which it's easy mm -hmm. to get there because he really cares about country radio. <laughs> And oh, Shelly yeah. Easton and them surprising you. That's pretty fun. Uh, listen, <laughs> totally. uh, I want to know this. What have you not done in our business or in the voiceover business that you really would like to do? Is there a bucket list for you? A real movie trailer voiceover. That and some credible animation voices, um, you know, of, uh, of actual either games, animation, um, video games or uh, major movie animation voices. Now, I have done many of those through the years, and I have auditioned as a function of being a part of Atlas Talent, which does represent me and does uh, all the, they do all the, they do all the numbers crunching, and they do the negotiating, they, they do the yeah. contracts and all that kind of thing. Um, oh, I do have to tell you this. Probably the one of the, one of the first major uh, pickles, if you will, for animation voices was 
at Bill Young, and a, probably was in 1993, and one of the Six Flags markets had some kind of a an issue where the authorized Bugs Bunny voice could not appear in that market. I think yes. it was Greg Burr's. Greg Burson, I believe was his name. Huh? And so the the person, the manager in, in charge of, of that ad asked, is there anybody there and you know who can cover this Bugs Bunny voice? And without even checking with me, Bill tells this person, Yeah, I have I have a guy here. So I get that assignment. Hey, can and, you do Bugs Bunny? Well, I can, and I did. I can't do it right oh. now. It would take it would take me a while to uh, kind of warm up into it. I remember that no, by the no, time no, I was it's old, good. It's look, it's good enough just for you to tell us this story and tell us you did Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Holy cow! Well, you know, you know, this is the part that blows me away is because everything ends up on the internet, and there's nothing that's that's uh, a secret, um, or that's not a secret, and that is that I'm actually listed. Unbeknownst to me, I had no inkling that this was uh, a thing on the internet. But it's something about voices behind the uh, behind the uh, characters or something like that. I'll I'll find out what it is and send it to you when we're done. And it's and it's all the people who have done the Bugs Bunny voice, starting with Mel Blanc, of course. And I'm listed among those people. That's and great. And it gives attribution to that market, to that Six Flags uh, Great America, which was, I think, in New Jersey, and the year that it came out. And I have no copy of it, and I have no clue of how they found this out. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Yeah. So what we learned from this is that if you are somebody in the movie business and you just happen to be listening to our podcast, John Williard <laughs> wants to do your big movie trailer and he's got the voice for it and the personality for it. So just give him a call. You know, he'll, he'll be glad to do it. John, I want to talk to you a little bit about the future. And uh, the, I, I call this the, this is the price of the interview. This is what you pay. Okay. This, this stupid question I ask now, because it's all about the future. And we all know you, nobody knows anything about the future. But if you could control it, what would you like for the future of local radio to be, John Williard? Ooh. Ooh. One of the first things that I think about is how lacking local commercial production truly is. It needs to be sharpened. It needs to be creative. It needs to stand out. I don't care. I don't care how small the market is. I don't think you can. I don't think you can just phone it in. I think it has to. I think there has to be a lot of forethought. Um, I mean, I proved that it could be done in in markets I worked at. Well, it could be done, John. I'm sorry. Say, say that again. It, it it can be done. It's just that people oh, yeah. are not doing it in a lot of places, and it is surprising. People don't think of it as part of the product, but it is part of our product. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to hear more entertaining and you don't have to be an enter you don't have to go on and on and on to be an entertainer you don't have to take yeah. I mean I was a big proponent of of uh, word economy when I was yeah. when I was uh, coaching my staff and 
I said, I want us to sound like a, like a top 10 market, uh, you know, a, a, a flame-thrown radio station, and, and we can do it. And we did become Absolutely. the talk of the town, and we became uh, number one across the, the board, most day parts. Um, mm -hmm. and, but uh, I don't know. Maybe for me, it might have come from a deeper sense of um, responsibility. I don't, I don't know. Right. Um, but here again, when you ask the question, what does it take to do uh, to to be a, a voice actor slash mm -hmm. imaging voice, I think a lot of it has to be what you were born with, what you were given, uh, your your the chops that you are able to develop. But it also comes from a deeper sense too of um, how creative are you? How much fun do you want to have? How much how much of a leader do you want to be? Well, it's just like, uh, you know, look, we're recording this in the middle of a football season, college football season. And I'll just say that a lot of people arrive at the college football programs and they've never seen somebody like themselves because they have elongated elbows or whatever. Mm. You know, these, these supreme athletes, they just don't have the same measurements as everybody else, but they show up on these college campuses. They end up on the football field and they, they suddenly see three or four people like them. And then mm. they say that you get to the NFL, which is uh, NFL, because some people stands for not for long. And <laughs> you're, there are 11 people like you on the other side of the ball and 11 people like you on your side of the ball. And so here's what a trainer told me at LSU a few years ago. He said, a lot of it is the talent has these innate gifts then it's what are you going to bring to them? How are you going to develop them? I think that's what you're saying, John, right? Yeah, I really think it it has mostly to do with heart. Yes. With and what's between your ears and and how well you are um equipped to be a real team player and to yes. bring the best bring the best to the team. I mean, I'm thinking of people like uh, Nick Saban. You know what the the wherewithal that he has to be the kind mm -hmm. of coach and inspire the kind of players that he has. Yeah, that's exactly that's a great point, Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, and I think we all know whether you're an Alabama fan or not that Nick Saban. If there's a better coach, eh, you know, I don't know who that is. He talks a lot about process, and I think whether you are coaching college football or whether you're a personality on the air or whether you're a voiceover talent what is it that you bring in your process that makes you special and different because that's really your contribution right john yes absolutely people have to have to come to terms with that in their own mind in their own heart i gotta say we can't have a better person on this show tell us about these things when i think about you i think about you as a team member i think about you as somebody who brings a a competitive edge through quality creative that sometimes it doesn't walk a straight line and i think all of that is great in the radio business john i want to thank you for spending this time with us and being our guest i know it was a big deal for you to do this and i really appreciate it it has been a blessing and a joy more than a big deal i mean i really really have been looking forward to it, it and it is a, all these podcasts are a big deal but this was not an insurmountable big deal for me. I was only too, too happy to do it. Thank you, Lloyd. God bless you.
Thank you very much. Listen, please don't take for granted what we're doing here and help us by sharing this episode from our website. You can do it directly from rainmakerpathway.com in the free blog section. It says free stuff. You'll you'll get it. And you can share it with others who are interested in growing their careers in radio and audio. This episode of The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast is designed like the other 120 plus episodes that are already in our archive to encourage radio pros at all levels. You can get this, by the way, right on your smartphone. Oh, by the way, do you know about this? Uh, the quarterly sales event that we do every single quarter, we have another one of those coming up on October 12th. And this one is called Salesperson Momentum. We're going to talk about not how to close out your year and bring it to a soft landing, but how to jumpstart not only your revenue in Q4, but also what happens in 2024, which is going to be really critical for you. We want to thank our special guest today, John Williard, amazing voiceover talent from Atlanta, Georgia. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast. We make that available in moments after this live interview. I want to thank JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Of course, we say this all the time on our podcast. I say it to clients regularly. It's something I'm passionate about. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. If you have any question about this philosophy, I urge you to reach out to me. It is my passion to share exactly what that means. It's not just about radio. And I love to prove it to clients. If you don't remember anything from this episode, please take this with you. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers. Now go make it a great week in local radio.